Attention is sponsored by the American Music Therapy Association and can be found on the web at www.imagine.musictherapy.biz. This podcast is entitled Putting the Evidence into Practice, Designing a Plan for Student Success for Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders and presented by Beth McLaughlin. Beth is the coordinator of Music Therapy Services and Internship Director at Wildwood School in New York. She has been providing music therapy services to children with autism spectrum disorders and complex learning disabilities since 1981. In addition to Imagine, she has contributed chapters to the AMTA monograph Effective Clinic Practice in Music Therapy, Early Childhood and School Age Education Settings, and Courage, Heart and Wisdom, As is an Autism, published by Outskirts Press. She has also recorded a collection of children's songs entitled Songs for Stories. We've all heard the popular adage, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Well, I would like to extend that wisdom to include the following. If you've had one successful music therapy session with a group of youngsters on the autism spectrum, you've had one successful music therapy session with a group of youngsters on the autism spectrum. Wildwood School is a private school in Schenectady, New York, that provides educational programming for children with Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD, and complex learning disabilities between the ages of 5 and 21. I have worked there for 35 years. During this time period, more and more programs and lesser restrictive environments have become available to school-aged children with disabilities. Wildwood School's enrollment has not decreased in spite of the availability of these other programs, However, the children coming to our program present with multiple and more complex needs that challenge the educational team to provide a learning environment that is both innovative and informed by best practice. Our youngest class is referred to as Class 1. There are six students in this class. Their ages range from five to seven years. While this age range is at the typical end of the early childhood designation, skills introduced at this time provide a basis for later and higher levels of learning. One teacher and three teacher assistants serve this class. A social worker and speech and language therapist spend a great deal of time in the classroom pushing in to support programming as well as pulling children out for their individual frequencies. Additionally, these students receive related services from occupational therapy, physical therapy, adapted physical education, as well as music therapy. Many of these disciplines push into music therapy so that during most sessions, there is one-to-one support for the students. In 2008, Class 1 challenged all my previous notions of a no-fail music therapy group structure. Prior to this, I had always adhered to a specific recipe for success that followed a typical routine. That included a period of relaxation, gathering song, a greeting song, movement or instrumental activities, both non-locomotor and locomotor, a story song, and a final relaxation time that included awarding of reinforcers. A more detailed description of this routine may be found in the resource section of this podcast. This structure assumes that children have developed some readiness skills, including the ability to attend to a task, follow one-step directions, and remain seated in a chair. Additionally, the motor and instrumental tasks require some body awareness and functional use of materials, The children in Class 1 quickly taught me that my recipe was lacking some essential ingredients. Some days went reasonably well. However, the children frequently responded to my structure by running, throwing instruments, crying, screaming, hitting their peers, or biting their teachers. 
I am a seasoned clinician, but my confidence was shaken. The boys in this class were all diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. They were nonverbal and presented with sensory needs that interfered with their ability to sit and attend or to use materials functionally. They dropped through mouths or flipped instruments for visual stimulation. They lacked communication skills, so used behaviors to get their needs met. They demonstrated limited awareness of themselves or the impact of their behavior on their peers or their environment. The primary focus of their educational program was to teach them prerequisite skills for accessing their learning environment. To reinforce these skills in music therapy, I needed to get their attention. First, I had to assess the environment. Although my chairs were arranged in a circle, there was too much space between me and the students. Windows and other materials in the room interfered with children's ability to sustain attention to the activity. They did not understand picture cues, so they were confused and distracted when I attempted to incorporate them. When I turned away from the group to turn on music or get an instrument, one or two students would leave the group. Support staff then stepped in to redirect the children, but this often resulted in further chaos. My challenge was to get their attention by creating an environment with minimal distractions that would meet their sensory needs, while teaching desired behaviors and enabling a relationship that would make learning possible. Furthermore, I needed input from the educational team to better understand the most effective strategies for working with these children. During a Class 1 team meeting, the staff reported that they were having success engaging the students in learning tasks using discrete trial teaching, or DTT, a methodology used in behaviorally-based interventions designed for teaching children on the autism spectrum. DTT has been identified as an established evidence-based practice in the recent National Standards Report published in 2009 by the National Autism Center. It was designed to reduce problem behavior and teach functional alternative behaviors through the application of basic principles of behavior change. DTT is often used when teaching readiness skills or in the initial teaching phase of a specific skill and includes four steps in the process. Number one, a discriminative stimulus is the instruction or environmental cue to which the teacher would like the child to respond. Number two, a prompting stimulus is a prompt or cue from the teacher to help the child respond correctly. Number three, the response or the skill or behavior that is the target of the instruction or a portion thereof. And number four, the reinforcing stimulus, a reward designed to motivate the child to respond and respond correctly. Classroom staff also reported that the children function most successfully as a group when seated at a table. Their reinforcement system consisted of redeeming tokens for a small piece of fruit candy accompanied by social praise. I let go of tried and true and looked to the evidence to inform my program decisions. I set up a table with chairs for the students with staff chairs positioned behind them. I put a small square of Velcro on the table. I attached a token that they could use to redeem for candy. Tokens were given for any number of appropriate responses to the activity. One child was reinforced for maintaining his grasp on an instrument or a mallet, another for remaining seated for a whole song before taking a walk. Two others were rewarded for playing an instrument functionally. When the child exhibited the target behavior, a token would immediately be attached to the Velcro on the table. The student was to pick up the token and hand it to me in order to get their reward. This simple act of reciprocity is important to reinforce the connection between the behavior and the reward, as well as the giver and the receiver. 
as the child becomes aware that there is another person involved in this exchange of goods, a relationship evolves. Initially, a continuous schedule of reinforcement was used to teach the desired behavior. Within the two weeks, I was able to reduce this to a variable ratio schedule as the social praise and the activity itself increased in value as an intrinsic reward. During the third week of this new structure, we introduced a token board for each child. Instead of receiving reinforcement for each activity, children had to earn five tokens before redeeming them for candy. Within five weeks, primary reinforcement was withheld until the end of class. Activities and interactions with staff provided the motivation for the students to sustain their engagement and attention to the task. Joint attention is a prerequisite behavior necessary for learning language, imitation, play, and social skills. Its absence is considered an early predictor of ASD and has been defined by Adamson and MacArthur as the ability to coordinate attention between an object and a person in a social context. To teach imitation while building social awareness during the seated movement activity, I took advantage of our one-to-one child-to-staff ratio and paired each student with a staff member. Whoever was sitting behind a child would turn his chair around and be their partner. These music activities included a partner dance as well as an instrumental activity. The dance consisted of four different movements, such as twist, shake, jump, and bend, that were separated musically by a four-beat pause, clearly defined by a drum beat. During this pause, I would preset the children with the next movement by saying, get ready to shake. Instrument playing followed to reinforce both imitative behaviors as well as functional use of the instruments. Again, this was taught with individual support, edible rewards, and positive engagement between child and staff member. At this point in the process, the boys had been seated for about 10 minutes. They needed to move. We directed them to an open space in the back of the room to perform a group dance using a small fabric-covered TheraBand. We solicited input from families for ideas for music that was familiar and motivating to the students. Our song choices included Girl, You're My Angel by Shaggy and some Disney favorites such as Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. Any recorded music we used was edited in GarageBand down to about two minutes while maintaining an ABAC musical structure for repetition and modeling of desired movements. Rather than return to the table at the conclusion of our movement activity, we sat down where we were, children on laps or seated in front of their assigned staff. At this point in the process, the students' attention was aroused and they were more available for learning. I would then sing a song using finger puppets that invited a variety of responses such as counting puppets or imitating hand gestures. It was only at the end of the music group that the circle was reintroduced into the structure. The children sat for one to two minutes of quiet music and received one final edible reinforcer. Besides the input and cooperation of staff and families, there were four critical components that contributed to the success of this program. First, all the materials needed for each activity had to be available and strategically placed. The instruments were placed in boxes under the table so that I could retrieve and distribute them easily. The TheraBand was near where the group dance would occur. Finger puppets were in my pocket. I wore an apron with a Velcro strip so that pictures could become readily accessible and easily viewed by the students. Second, I did not move from my seat at the table until it was time to get up and dance. This assured that the transitions between activities were quick and seamless. Third, there was limited turn-taking. Other than passing out instruments or mallets, all the activities required a group response. 
Finally, the positive energy and affect of the staff with the students was a priceless factor that cannot be overemphasized. They sang all the songs, did not depart from the routine, and remained positively engaged with the students throughout the session. My new and adjusted routine may be found in the resource section of the podcast. The program had begun in January of 2009. By April, we had successfully increased the attending and focusing behavior of all six boys. Out-of-seat behaviors were at a minimum on most days. Imitative behaviors were emerging, and instruments were beginning to be used for music accompaniment rather than to meet sensory needs. Finally, if an increase in positive affect is an indicator of improved joint attention, as suggested by Whalen and Schriebman in 2003, then our music therapy sessions could be deemed a success. Thanks for listening to this Imagine podcast produced in 2012.